Well, good morning, everyone. Yes. We're going to see how this goes uh, <clears throat> as far as the voice need to breathe concert last night. So I don't know, uh, don't know if it's going to hold up or not. If you are a guest with us, thank you for joining us today. We acknowledge that there are many places that you could be this morning, and the fact that you're here uh, means a lot to us. So thank you. Here would be our ask of you. Would you please uh, stop by our first-time guest center? Uh, out in the commons after the service, or you could use the QR code located on the seat in front of you, uh, and you can fill out uh, the guest card that way. But uh, thanks so much for being our guest today, and if uh, Fellowship Greenville is your home, I'm really happy that you have joined us today also. If, here, if Fellowship Greenville is your home, and, and you've recently been having a conversation with someone, talking about taking uh, your next step at getting plugged in here at Fellowship Greenville, I've got some really great news for you. We actually have a space literally called Next Steps. And it's out in the commons, right out this door here to my right. And it's like they have created it just for you because they have. And I've actually been praying that at the conclusion of today's message, many of you would stop by that table, but more on that uh, momentarily. Many of you may not know this, but October, is Pastor Appreciation Month. Did you know this? It's true, it's true. It's not a hoax, it's a real thing. It's an entire month to appreciate pastors. And I'm gonna be honest with you, it's the whole sole reason that I got into this gig. I mean, when I <laughs> learned that there's a whole month, because it makes up honestly for the other 11 months where people are pretty disappointed that I'm not an infectious disease expert or a political pundit or a uh, hot take influencer. So it's really nice to have, I kid, I'm just joking. You're like, is he allowed to say that? It's totally fine, I can say it, it's fine. Uh, here's the deal, and the reason I'm talking about Pastor Appreciation Month, we have the opportunity this coming Friday to appreciate Charlie Boyd on 25 years of faithful, impactful ministry here at Fellowship. I was asked to give a little plug, so this is the plug. This Friday evening from 5.45 p.m. to 9 p.m., we're gonna be celebrating him. There's gonna be food, there's gonna be games, there's gonna be live bluegrass music in the courtyard. And then at seven o'clock, there's gonna be a program here in this room where Matt and I roast Charlie. I can't wait for that. <laughs> Kidding, we're not, we might, I don't know. Show up, we might. And then we're gonna have Skytop Orchard, and they're gonna be providing our desserts afterwards, so there is no better way to spend a Friday evening than with all of us together. You can bring a card of encouragement with you for Charlie and Karen if you would like to do that and drop it off. So here's what we would love. We need you to go today. We need you to go online if you haven't yet, and we need you to sign up so that we have enough food, and we're gonna celebrate Charlie. Listen, just side note, 25 years is a, is a really long time like to serve somewhere, uh, do this. Think about, think about where you were in 1996. And then think about how many places you have been since 1996. Charlie has been here that whole time. So it's a long time, like literally in the building. He never leaves. And so he's been here, kidding. Uh, we're excited to be able to celebrate him, so sign up if you would, and it'll be a great time this coming uh, Friday evening. At Fellowship, we are a community of grace, passionately pursuing life and mission with Jesus. We love to gather together on Sundays and celebrate what the Lord's been doing in our lives and through our lives 
since we were last together, and to make much of Jesus and the hope found in the gospel. And on Sunday mornings here at Fellowship, we're typically working our way through a book of the Bible. And over the past six or seven weeks, we've been uh, walking through the book of Ephesians. And I wanna let you in on a little secret today that I don't think I have declared publicly yet, but as of today, I will. It is my favorite book of the Bible because it is all about the nature and purpose of the church. Now that could sound like pastor speak to you as in, of course, if it's about the church, you would love it because you're a pastor. But here's, here's what I'm hoping and what I've been praying and just wanted to be expectant about as we've gone through this series, as we've walked through these first three chapters of Ephesians, I hope that what you've seen and been able to contemplate with us is that the church, Big C Church, Christ followers around the globe, has been God's plan all along. And the church impacts all of us and the world that we are daily living in. So if you have your Bibles this morning, will you turn to Ephesians chapter four? And as you turn there, here's a little uh, recap for you. Uh, it's been sweet to begin to process through the mystery of the church from Paul's opening song, if you remember this refrain, to the praise of his glory, to Paul's prayer of thanksgiving, his prayer for spiritual insight for the church at Ephesus. Going to chapter two, the miracle that is from death to life, from enslaved to enthroned, from objects of wrath to trophies of grace, from under Satan's dominion to union with Christ, to Jew and Gentile finding unity in Christ. The dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. To the church being a picture of God's multifaceted wisdom to all who look in and observe, both here on earth and in the heavens, to Paul's prayer for strength and love, like it has been a few encouraging weeks. And Jim mentioned this last week as we looked at the first part of Ephesians 4. Chapter 4 is this transition in the letter. If, if, if the first three chapters are about our calling as followers of Jesus and what God has done to make that possible for us to follow Jesus, both individually and corporately, then these next three chapters of Ephesians are about how we are to live out that calling. Yes, as individuals, but also as, as a family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's all connected in Paul's heart and mind as he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. The mystery that is the church, living as the church, and it impacts all of life. Let's do this. I want to give you a moment just to bow your heads and close your eyes, if you would. Would you take just a moment to ask the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, to speak to you, encourage you, challenge you, change you. Father God, may it always be our joy to open up your word, to hear your spirit speak to us for your glory and for your fame. In Jesus' sweet name we pray, amen. So we decided, and Jim talked about this last week, we, we decided to take two Sundays 
on the first 16 verses of chapter four because there is so much here and because uh, we believe there's a lot of um, practical application for us to ponder as a church family, like for us to ponder as Fellowship Greenville. But before we unpack the practical implications for us here uh, in regards to how Paul is encouraging the church at Ephesus, allow me to take just a few moments to remind us some of what Jim shared last Sunday. It's kind of a flyby, a 30,000 foot overview. And so in Ephesians four, verse one, it says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So stop right there if you would. If you'll recall back in chapter two, Paul has wonderfully articulated the beauty and costliness of the calling. We were dead, dead, dead. But God who is rich in mercy and because of his great love made us alive and it is a gift. And then Paul continues to unpack our, our being brought into relationship not just with the Lord, but with, with one another, right? There's no Messiah, there's no hope, there's no God. Two, fellow citizen, a part of the family of God. So Paul is saying, walk in such a way, do life in such a way, carry yourself in such a way, communicate with others in such a way that is worthy. Uh, that word there in the Greek means equal weight or uh, balance. Worthy of that calling, both the calling of being brought into relationship with God through Jesus, but also the calling of being a part of the family of God with your brothers and your sisters, your fellow citizens in the Lord. And here's what some of that walking worthy looks like. Verse two, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And here's what I wanted us to do this morning before we get to the second half of, of what we, of verses we're gonna walk through. I just wanted us to consider briefly this morning, are we, all of us, being intentional about maintaining the unity of the spirit among each other here in this local expression of the Big C Church. Like there is this great reminder here from Paul that unity between our brothers and sisters in Christ is not something that we work hard to muster up. It's actually already been given to us through Christ. That's what he says. And Paul has emphasized that and he has shown that so far in what he has said throughout the rest of the letter. But his exhortation to them and to us is what in regards to that unity? Maintain it, guard it, keep it. How? Well, there are some words that he kind of puts here that I just, I don't want us to rush past them. I just want us to ponder them for a second. The first is humility. Uh, humility is a right understanding of who we are before God that results in selfless service and how I engage other people. And humility is an essential piece of maintaining unity. Or as Tim Keller uh, says, pastor in New York, I've always loved his, def his definition. Humility is not thinking more of myself, nor is humility thinking less of myself. True humility is thinking of myself less. So here's what we know, because we've all been uh, doing life for a while. We know that pride destroys every relationship. Always has, always will. And so I think it is um, good for us to regularly examine our posture in all of our relationships. 
Because if we operate with an entitled attitude, then our posture will be one of demanding expectation of others instead of actually serving others. If we operate from the premise of I'm right, you're wrong about everything, most things, my favorite things, then our prideful posture will be one of I need to have control or I need to be in control. So one way unity is maintained is through humility, but that's not the only word used in the describing of walking in a manner worthy of our calling. The word gentleness is used. That word actually means meek. Sometimes people think of the word meek and they associate the word weak, but meekness isn't weakness. Jesus himself said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. A meek person is someone that trusts God for the outcomes of their life. They don't have to attempt to grab life by the arm and twist it to get what they wanna get out of life. That's the reason they'll inherit the earth. They don't have to twist it. They don't have to twist the arms of other people. They don't have to control other people to get what they want. And I was thinking a little bit about gentleness and meekness and I just throw it out there because I've been thinking about it myself. One way to know if you are treating people with gentleness, if you're treating people with meekness, is by asking yourself this question. Do people that you do life with typically move towards you or near you? Or do they steer clear from you? As you look at life, do you notice that people move near you and close to you or they're like, meh, I don't think so. Is it because if they engage you, they already know that you're gonna try to manipulate them, twist things to get what you want out of them? Have they observed on things you post in the social media world who you already are? You go, well, that's not fair, but that's what they see. So are they gonna move towards you? Or are they gonna steer clear from you? The other word Paul uses here is patience, which can also mean long suffering, has this idea of uh, endurance, not giving up, not giving up in the face of pain, not giving up in the face of adversity, in the midst of life, in the midst of, relationship. None of us can have true healthy relationships as, as a flawed person with other flawed people without being willing to wait, without being willing to be patient, without being willing to be long suffering. So if we're constantly operating from a place of my way in my time, then that is not the key to maintaining unity. He also talks about forbearing love, bearing with one another in love, which that actually would imply patience in the midst of people doing you harm. It's not just love because everybody loves and love you and you love me and this is great, it's easy to love you. Nope, forbearing love is I'm being treated unfairly. Someone's trying to do me harm and I'm still gonna love them. 
Humility, gentleness, patience, love, all related, all necessary things to be growing in if we desire to maintain unity, unity that has been given to us through Christ. And listen, I'd be the first to admit that seems really daunting, doesn't it? Maybe even more so right now than at other times in life. Some of you might be thinking even as I walk through those, well, Jason, you don't get it. You don't get my circumstances. You can talk forbearing love all you want, but you don't know what I've walked through. You can talk patience all you want, but you don't know what I've walked through. And so you may be sitting here today going, I just don't know if humility and gentleness and patience and forbearing love are possible. Just as a reminder, because we're so quick to talk about how the moment we're in is the worst moment of all time. But if you actually read your Bible and then there was like a garden of Eden and everything was fantastic and then sin entered into the world, just a side note, it's been really jacked up since then. And even when Paul's writing this, to, to put these words of humility and gentleness and patience and forbearing love, again, remember who he's writing. He's writing Jews and Gentiles that hated each other. I talked about this a couple weeks ago in chapter two. Through the cross, the dividing wall of hostility had been torn down, thus the unity that they've been given. And in these verses, as Paul urges them to walk in a manner worthy of their calling to maintain the unity, he does that actually in a couple of ways, which I think is really sweet. The first thing he does is, I wanna remind you what is true about God. Listen, I know it's difficult. I'm not saying that all of this is so easy but if you wanna maintain unity that has been given to you, you do that by remembering what is true about the God who has called you into relationship with him. This is what it says in verse four of chapter four. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to be one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So up until this point, in these first couple of verses, Paul has used these really practical words. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearing love, to talk about walking in a manner worthy of being called to the family of God. And then he just breaks out into some more theological truth that actually ties it together practically. You were just singing about it a moment ago of what it looks like to walk in step with the spirit each day. And Paul does this all the time and other things that he writes, but it is right here for us. There is one body. There is unity because we are one body of followers of Jesus. And there is one spirit who indwells the church and there is one hope in regards to our future with God. There is one Lord. He is the head of the church, Jesus Christ. There is one faith. That means that there is one gospel that we believe and that we proclaim. And there is one baptism. And Paul is not concerned here or making a point here, in my opinion, about the mode of baptism, but the message of baptism, what it signifies, which is identification with Jesus Christ. I follow him and identification with the church. I'm with them. And there is one God and Father of all. So lest you think it's too difficult, unless you're tempted to say, yeah, but you don't understand my circumstances, Paul says, here are seven unifying statements driving home the beautiful picture of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, united who through humility, patience, and gentleness, and love, here's the irony, that's how they have treated us. 
They have called us in, unified us to him and each other, and we are called and empowered to live out that with our brothers and our sisters. Humility, patience, gentleness, and love. Thus maintaining the unity that is given to us. And again, as followers of Jesus, that's critically important because the world we live in is splintering apart they get the opportunity to look and see that the Jesus we follow, the way we are unified together as brothers and sisters in Christ, like this really does change all of life. And then Paul does something else, which is great. It's not just that he encourages them to remember who God is, although he does that in regards to maintaining our unity. Paul also lets them know that God, in his kindness and grace, has given a multifaceted leadership gift to the church to equip the church towards spiritual maturity, thus maintaining the unity given them through Jesus. Look with me, if you would, in verse 11, where it says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, verse 13 says, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every kind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Pause. This is so good. God does not leave us alone and say, good luck to you. I redeemed you. You guys maintain that unity. It's gonna be tough. It's probably not gonna work out, right? Like I think of the picture of the princess bride stops by and he's like, have fun storming the castle. It's like, will it work? It'll take a miracle. Like that whole thing, that whole scene, it wasn't like that. Some of you don't know this about me. I'm not a strong swimmer. I uh, didn't really love swimming uh, growing up. I uh, had pretty traumatic experience uh, swimming lessons. Any of you that are teaching swimming lessons as a job, just know that you can really damage children forever. But uh, <laughs> had an older brother and a younger sister. And they were great. They were like fish. Uh, really, you know, they do it with the caps, the red caps and the yellow caps and the blue caps and the green caps. And I was kind of in the beginning class and I was way too old. It was me and a bunch of little kids. And for some reason I couldn't do the dead man's float. That's why they wouldn't pass me, which I asked, I was old enough to ask the question, if I'm dead, it doesn't matter. Anyway, <laughs> teacher was not impressed. Part of the reason that I'm a little scarred about the whole swimming thing is because of a story my dad told me when I was younger about swimming. <laughs> And I said, Dad, how did you learn to swim? No lie. Well, I was at the lake one day. How old were you? I was 11. I go, okay. You didn't know how to swim when you were 11? That's right. Okay, I feel a little bit better about myself. And he said, uh, uh, we were out at the lake one day and uh, Uncle Roy was there. And Uncle Roy said, Drew, do you know how to swim? To which my dad said, I don't. And then Uncle Roy picked up my dad and just threw him in the lake. Figure it out. And that's how, true story. Some of y'all seem so shocked. They did it very different back then. I don't know if you know this or not. <clears throat> That's how my dad like learned to swim. Most of us have learned um, sports, crafts, professions, life skills, whatever, because we had someone or many someones equip us, train us, coach us, invest in us. Not just picked up and thrown into the lake. Hope it works out for you. And God in his kindness didn't just say, hope it works out for you. 
God in his kindness and grace gives a gift of leadership to the church that is multifaceted in function. And its purpose is to equip the church for the work of the ministry, ministry that is intended to move us as followers of Jesus towards maturity and maintaining unity. I say all of that to say this, please understand this section on the leadership given to the church we're gonna spend a little more time this morning, is not a disconnected new thought from Paul as we're working through Ephesians 4. It's all flowing together from the encouragement and the challenge to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You are the church, so be the church. Unity has been given to you, maintain the unity. Maintain that unity by looking to God himself, three in one, the Trinity, and Maintain that unity through the leadership of the church, equipping you to be the church. Because, I know I said it, let me say it again. Because maintaining the unity given to us puts the beauty and the hope of the gospel on display to a watching world. This is about the mission of the church and God's grace and kindness in regards to his provision for the carrying out of the mission. The tagline of the entire series, the mystery of the church revealed. So verse 11 says, let's look back at it again. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, we could have another message or two around this one verse, but given to the church to equip the church, through the leading of the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Now, I want you to remember something. In Paul's uh, time, there's no New Testament full of books and letters for everyone. It's still being written. And we know that the apostles and the prophets did the writing back in the day. Men chosen by God to give revelation by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there were also those that were evangelists, they shared the gospel, teachers who taught and applied the revelation of God to God's people, and pastors and shepherds who walked with and cared for God's people. So in our, in our day and age, there's no longer the office of apostle or prophet because the Bible's complete, it's a closed canon. But there are still those that have a leadership function within the church that is apostolic or prophetic in nature. As in that is how they serve the church, the big C church and local C, little C congregations, along with evangelists and pastors and teachers. I'll have them throw this up on the screen for you here because I just kind of want to walk it through. When I talk about an apostolic function, those that have an apostolic function within the church, these are folks that have a passion and a gifting to see the gospel extend into new areas and new geographies. I think they're also gifted with a strategic mindset that actually sees how that could happen. They see the grid with which the gospel could go forth. These are often what we call today missionaries that are willing to go into new places with the gospel. I mean, we just heard Piper at the beginning of the message today talk about Jim Elliott. That is an apostolic function. He's not an apostle. That's an apostolic function in which him and some others said, we're gonna take the gospel into new places. Church planters who wanna get the gospel presence into as many places as possible. 
Those with an apostolic function are, um, I could use the word mobilizers of God's people to extend the gospel. Whereas those with a prophetic function are gifted in such a way as to speak so that those they are equipping are understanding how the gospel actually applies to all of life. There is this passion of the prophetic function to call followers of Jesus to truly follow Jesus. There is an urgency in their plea. This is what God's word says. And we must, as followers of Jesus, follow what it says. They have a passion for that. They have a passion for let's walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Whereas the call and equipping passion of the evangelist is what? Come to Jesus. If you know an evangelist and listen to them teach or speak, what you know is they always get to the point of asking people, will you say yes to a relationship with Jesus today? You can give an evangelist any passage to teach and eventually John three sixteen is coming up. It's where they live. And listen, it's not that all of us are, are, are supposed to not share it. Like we're all called to share our faith, but the function of an evangelist is quite evident because in the wake of their life, so to speak, are people actually coming to faith? I don't know if you've ever hung out for an extended period of time with someone who functions as an evangelist. It's fascinating. I love it. I take notes. I go, this is really something. People are coming to trust Jesus. Many of you obviously would be familiar with the role and function of a pastor within a church. They care for people. They love people. They walk with people during difficulties. And again, it's not that the other functions of the leadership team don't do that. It's just for the pastor, that empathy, that care is obvious, especially for those that are receiving the care. If you've ever been cared for well by someone who's a part of a church leadership team, and you go, I really felt loved on there. Yeah, they probably function as a pastor. The same would be true of a teacher. Clear to those that are listening when someone has this function within a team. They explain in clear ways God's word. They want the body and anybody else who may be listening in to truly know, to truly understand. And so it's great for me to look around a staff room here at Fellowship Greenville and see how the Lord in his kindness and grace has brought together a team with so many of these functions to equip the body to do the work of the ministry because that's the purpose. Look back at verse 12. According to Paul, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There is leadership given to the church to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. 
And Paul says we're to be equipped to help the church be what the church is supposed to be. If you look back at verse seven, what does he say there? In verse seven of chapter four, he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Paul's not talking about saving grace there. He's talking about serving grace as in we, all of us, have been gifted as followers of Jesus and we are to be equipped and grow in those gifts And there were some who were given the function to do the equipping of the church for the work of the ministry and in doing so maintain the unity of the body as the body continues to mature and as the body continues to grow. Now, that might seem so obvious to some of you today, but maybe it's not as obvious for others of you depending on your church background. Uh, For some of you, you grew up in a church where the expectation was the pastor or the priest or the leader, they were there to do the ministry of the church. And you were supposed to show up, give a little bit of money, and try hard to be good. Others of you were brought up in a church that it was expected that you would do some things around the church because that's what good Christians do but the motivation was guilt. And God's gonna love you more, like you more, if you do X, Y, or Z to help around here. But that's not what the Bible teaches, and it's not what Paul is articulating. Paul has been very clear that we're saved by grace and not by good works. And Paul has also been equally as clear that we're called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. So I'll say it again, I've said it before. You are the church, be the church, And I'm gonna give leaders to the church to equip you to be the church. And that means this. It means that the leadership functions are all important. Equally important. Which means this. If we're missing functions of the leadership gift that was given to equip the church, we actually are missing something. Maybe I could ask it in the form of a question. What are you interested in going without? The expansion of the gospel, being equipped to the expansion of the gospel, being equipped towards the integration of the gospel in all of life, being equipped to extend the gospel, You wanna go without the love and care of a pastor or the explaining of God's word from a teacher? This is why a plurality and interdependence are so needed and so necessary. There is a team called to equip. And I know some of you are newer with us at Fellowship Greenville and maybe what you're hearing for the first time today is there really is a team here called to equip. Which means this, if you look at what Paul's saying here, there is no order of importance among the functions. God does not have them ranked. Teacher first, pastor second. Which means that there should be no favoritism in regards to how we operate. 
all of our pastoral team desires to present truth, but we will do that through our function and it's all actually needed to equip the church to do the work of the church. Can I get real practical on how this plays out? That means, if this is true, that all the functions are needed to equip the church to do the work of the church and there's no favoritism in that, like they're all needed. That means there need not be any conversation about who people prefer. Like there's no need to call the office and say, who's speaking this Sunday? Cause that's who I like. This new guy, what's up with this cat? No, I'm just saying like, this is like, this is, uh, we wanna tease this out even more. Like what we do here practically and methodologically is rooted theologically. And I get it, like there's nothing wrong if someone teaches the word no matter their function to go, thank you for that word today, that's totally fine. That's actually different than, I like it when you teach. Which I've had people say to me, I've always been a part of a teaching team, I'm very committed to this. It's one of the reasons that coming to fellowship was so great for me. I learned it here back in the day, I lived it at Summit and now I'm back still being able to do it. And anytime someone has come to me or I used to, the guy I used to work with, Kyle Eastep, and say, I like it when you teach. Kyle and I were committed one another to going, well, you know what? I like it when Kyle teaches. I like it when you teach. I like it when Jim and Charlie teach because all the functions are necessary to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. And the church, the body of Christ is poor for it if all the functions aren't there to actually equip it to do the work of the ministry. The question I would love for you to consider this morning is this, are you actually stepping into the opportunities here at your church to be equipped to do the work of the ministry that the Lord has for you? And again, you may or may not know it depending on how long you've been with us here at Fellowship, we consider ourselves like this is in our language, we are an equipping church, it's a part of our methodology and philosophy and that's because it is rooted here in what we're discussing today. That means all of our wonderful staff team, and it is wonderful, it is here not to do the work of the, we are not here to do the work of the ministry for you, but to equip you that we all might do the work of the ministry. I never got into the role that I'm currently serving in to show up and teach and have people go, I really like that. All right, awesome. Nope. Equip the church that we might do the work of the ministry. Because there's really our two convictions that I hold to very dearly. Here's the first. Whatever God's gonna do in the world in redeeming people to himself, he desires to do that through all of Christ's people. Right? Like you agree with that. It's not about a few perceived spiritual superstars doing everything. Because they're not spiritual superstars. So they need not be perceived that way. Whatever God's gonna do in redeeming people to himself, he desires to do through all of Christ's people, the church. I mean, this is Ephesians. This is what we've been talking about. But the second conviction I have is this. Whatever God's gonna do then, if that's true, then this also has to be true. Whatever God is gonna do in redeeming people to himself, he's gonna do through a church leadership team that sees equipping people in their giftedness as just as important as using their own giftedness. Right? Like if we believe that what God's gonna do, he'll do through all of Christ's people, then the call of leadership of the church is to equip Christ's people. But if we build a thing around 
just the leadership, then we've totally missed it. The leadership is here, but why is the leadership here? To equip the church to do the work of the ministry. That's my passion. It is my heartbeat. And some of you have seen this play out, you don't even know it. Like when I say that it's a part of our philosophy, it is funny, like some people have been super kind and gracious since I've been here and they go, hey Jason, thank you. Love having your uh, voice on the teaching team. A few of you have said that, very nice of you. But here's what I would say to you, just so you know how this actually works. Charlie Boyd has a function here of teaching. He wants people to understand, he wants them to know. Well, when I was a really young guy here, Charlie invested in me. He equipped me to teach the Bible. Why? Because whatever we're gonna do, whatever we're gonna see God do in redeeming people to himself, he's gonna do that through a leadership who sees equipping people in their giftedness is just as important as using their own giftedness. When you see a Matt and a Johnny on the stage together, what you see is a Matt who's been intentional about equipping Johnny in his gifts. But Matt's got those gifts, but he's being intentional about equipping him. Does that make sense? And then I come in the other week for uh, student ministry. My girls are a part of the student ministry here and I'm standing in the back room over there in auditorium too. And the student worship team here is unbelievable. They're so they're so good, but they've been equipped. You know who was on the stage playing with them that night? Matt Rexford and Jim Thompson. After a full day of doing, I don't know if you know this or not, but for, for, for Matt and Jim, their job description is not lead worship for student ministry. Why would they do it? Because just as important as using our own gifts is equipping people in their gifts because we believe that whatever God's gonna do, he'll do through all of Christ's people, the church, not just a few people. We're only, uh, we're only an equipping church to the degree that we are intentionally equipping you and to the degree that you're willing to be intentionally equipped. So really briefly here, I just, want to, I just want you to know how this works because again, some of you are newer with us. So just tell you how this works here for us. So you go, oh, okay, now maybe I understand that a little bit better. And some of you might've been here for a really long time. You go, I don't think I knew that. Well, I would love for you today to walk over. Okay, I get that. This is what this looks like for us here at Fellowship. There are seven values that rise from scripture that we prioritize and we want to constantly be equipping you in, see you grow in, see you mature in, ourselves included because we believe this is tangibly what a community of grace passionately pursuing life and mission with Jesus looks like. It's not just a tagline. Like we wanna think well about equipping and growing and discipling and maturing those that the Lord has entrusted to us that we really would be a community of grace passionately pursuing life and mission with Jesus. Marks of a disciple, These, it's not an exhaustive list. I'll pop it up there on the screen. I'm not gonna spend time talking about each of them. We have in the past, we will again in the future. But here's what I would love for you to do. Take just a moment, look at each of them and ask yourself this question. Am I intentionally being equipped in these ways? And am I stepping into the opportunities where this local le uh, church leadership wants to equip me in these things? Am I taking advantage of being equipped and discipled. 
Because we believe if we as a body are growing in these things, we will be accomplishing the work of the ministry that the Lord has for us. And here's the deal, because we in leadership have been gifted to do the equipping, we actually, we actually have a strategy in place to equip you, and it's not complicated. It's actually summed up in the shape of a triangle that you're familiar with, maybe. Life with Jesus, life in community, and life on mission. You could take the seven values and you could drop them in the middle of that triangle, and that's what we're after. So life with Jesus. So we would say daily hearing from the spirit of God through the word of God is an essential piece of you being equipped. One of the things that has been the most encouraging to me as I've stepped in here at Fellowship Greenville is how many of you actually are taking advantage of the Bible reading plan that is distributed every year. Like you're engaging the spirit of God through the word of God daily. Love that. But that's not the full extent of your being equipped. It's also life and community. Part of that is this. Part of that is prioritizing this gathered time on Sunday morning. So let me do this really quickly if I could. If, uh, online. If, if, you, if you are at home just because it's easier, would you please come back? We miss you. We need you. I'm not talking to those of you that need to be at home and should be at home, so please don't hear what I'm not saying, but if you're just staying home because watching on your couch is easier for you than showing up with the rest of the body here, please come back. But it's not just about this. I love that we prioritize this, but if this is the full extent of your equipping, then you're not being equipped as fully as you could be equipped. At Fellowship, we desire for everyone to be in a community group. Smaller group, this is a big church. There's thousands of people. And what we know about being equipped and maturing and growing is it's all done relationally, yes? It's not just showing up and sitting in a row and you're staring at the back of somebody's head for an hour and 15 minutes. I'm not minimizing what we do in the worshiping together through song and the studying of God's word. It's all a piece of it. But what we've been called into to be equipped to do the work of the ministry is so much more than this. At Fellowship Greenville, there are 681 adults in community groups. That's 67 community groups. And there are 156 adults that are leading those groups. And just within the last month, 55 of you have said, I'm gonna get plugged in. For some of you this morning, the next practical step, the reason you need to stop by the table today is because you actually need to get plugged into community to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. We have equipping classes, we have studies, we have lots of other things, and those are for you as you have more time and more availability. But we want people in community. You know what we talk about in community group? We talk about the sermon and we talk about those seven values. Intentional questions around those things. Are we growing in those things? Are we maturing in those things? Are we being equipped in those things? Again, not an exhaustive list, but seven things that definitely rise from scripture and are all about us, a community of grace, passionately pursuing life and mission with Jesus. There's a strategy to this. We're not just throwing something together. That's what I want you to know. And the last thing is life on mission. is serving this church family 
is serving our community. If this is your church, I know some of you are thinking about it, that's fine, this isn't for you. If this is your place, here's the question, how do you on a regular basis serve this family? It's not guilt motivation, it's not God's gonna like you more. It's I've been called in. It's that I wanna be about maintaining the unity. Like some of you, this idea of maintaining unity is like so, it's not on your radar because you think you're doing great at it, but you think you're doing great at it because you're actually not plugged in in any way. It's easy to be unified if you actually don't have any relational connection. I go in, I do the thing, I leave. You wanna know where unity's hard? Community group. But also, do you know where I am equipped and I grow? Community group. I just wanted to lay all this out this morning practically because if this is your place, your church family, or if you're, here's the deal, I don't wanna pull any punches with people who are thinking about it here, yeah? If, 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 this, if you're considering this being your church family, family, I just want you to know that the leadership team here uh, really cares about equipping you. Um, we, as leaders, I, we won't stand before God one day and give an update on our Sunday morning attendance. As a shepherd, as a pastor, as a leader, did you equip my people to do the work of the ministry? Did you take it seriously? I think about that. I just need you to know that. Hey, Jason, tell me what you think about as a pastor when you lay your head down on your pillow. Are we doing what the Lord called us to do? Does that feel really overwhelming sometimes? Yeah. Paul says in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So Paul's warning here is because it is possible that you could be living like this child. Like he wouldn't put it there if it weren't possible. It is possible for you to be tossed back and forth by every new thing, by every new take, by every hot topic that comes along. And this would just be the challenge for all of us today. Let's not so quickly assume that we aren't currently living like this, especially if there is no intentional equipping taking place in our life. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who's the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's it. I hope you've seen the flow of thought here from Paul. As we in leadership equip the church to do the work of the ministry and as you step into being equipped for the work of the ministry, unity is maintained. As we grow and mature in love. So if you see Sunday as a concert venue 
where you show up a few times a month for the paid religious professionals to do a few things that you give a thumbs up or a thumbs down, then we aren't being the church. If we process everything at Fellowship Greenville through a self-focused lens of this is the type of church I really want while also being passive as an observer, I'm really grateful for the job that staff team does then I think we're missing out on what God's desire and plan is for the church. Or I love the way Paul Tripp, who's an author said it, God is not satisfied with informing you about the work of his kingdom. He transforms you to participate in the work of his kingdom. So as we walk in a manner worthy of our calling, being equipped in our giftedness to accomplish the work of the ministry, our unity will be maintained as we grow and as we mature in love. And that unity put on display in our spheres of influence, our city, it'll put the gospel on display. It is the mystery of the church revealed. I'll invite the worship team to come back up and as they do, I just wanna say this, maybe, just maybe, your next Step your practical takeaway from today is to go out to the next steps table in the commons area and plug in. Maybe that's plugging in through intentional community. And you go, you're right, Jason. I've just kind of been sitting here and I show up every week and I see all these people that are doing all of these things. And they're not just filling slots to fill slots. People that are serving around here, it's a part of being equipped. It's a part of discipleship. It's part of being a follower of Jesus. So maybe it's stepping into community. Nobody here knows me. I come, I go, I come, I go, nobody knows me. Or I come and I go and I watch everybody else serve. So that should just be two real practical ways or maybe it's plugging into our community and serving our community that way. Stop by that next steps table. I hope that the line is so long that you go, I can't stand here that long. And that's fine, because you can go to this spot on our website right here and you can get more information about just next step, about actually plugging in. Because it has everything to do with the gospel being put on display in the places that God in his kindness and sovereignty has put us. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you that in your kindness and grace, you didn't just uh, say good luck with that, good luck with maintaining the unity. The words of encouragement through the apostle Paul to constantly look at the Trinity, the theological truth that is found there is an encouragement to our heart. And yet there is also this practical implication of how you gave a gift of leadership to the church to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. Thank you for that. Thank you that through the years here at Fellowship Greenville, you really have brought together a team that desires to use their function to equip those that call Fellowship Greenville home, to see them discipled, matured, that the gospel would be put on display. I pray through this study of Ephesians that you and your kindness would just keep 
lovingly telling our heart and our mind that the church is the hope for a watching world, not us as people, you in us. It's a game changer. And we get it, Lord. We live in a consumeristic society. And if we're not intentional, we can bring that consumeristic mindset into the local church where it's about our preferences, what we like and love most, whether we got what we needed to get. But I believe your spirit has been and will continue to do a work in this place. That as we grow in truth and as we grow in love, the unity will be maintained here amongst our brothers and our sisters. And others will come to be a part of the family. As in they once were lost, but now they're found. As in like-minded brothers and sisters from around this city who wanna be a part of a community that's thinking intentionally about where you've put us. It is for your glory. It is for your fame. In Jesus' sweet name we pray. Amen.